In the summer of 1998, I had the opportunity to witness live an open heart surgery. Below, down below us, those of us who were the aspiring clergy that we were doing chaplaincy, we saw a man laid out on an operating table, his face covered to protect his identity, his groin covered to protect his modesty. It was a open heart surgery. It was a bypass. And, you know, they, they call that place where you sit uh, the operating theater. Wow, did that make sense? Because it was one of the most dramatic things I have ever witnessed in my life as the surgical team assembled around him. The first thing they did was, because it was a bypass, because the, you know, the, the, the arteries, the conduits around the heart were occluded were blocked. And so what they did, um, I, I'm not going to show you slides here. This isn't the surgery channel today. I'd like to show a lot of slides normally. I'll leave this to your imagination. But the first thing they, they did was they took out four leg veins. It was a quadruple bypass. And I remember one of the surgeons holding this long worm vein up to the light and running saline through it to make sure that it would do its job as a bypass that it would be able to hold the contents of the blood. And when they had the veins that they wanted, and they were assembled out there, then the moment came. They opened his chest. And they spread apart his ribs. And there it was, an injured, but still beating, human heart. It was one of the most dramatic things I've ever witnessed in my life until the next thing, <laughs> which was when they turned on the heart lung machine and that injured, beating human heart stopped. Like I remember my own hand shot up to my pulse just to make sure my heart was still beating. <laughs> like maybe some of you want to check right now. <laughs> and then the surgery proceeded for the next three to four hours. All oh, this beautiful conduitry, this amazing technical expertise. Towards the end, they restarted the heart. And it had kind of an irregular beat, we were told. And so they brought out these long things that looked like salad tongs. It was an internal defibrillator. And they shocked the heart a little bit. And then it resumed its regular beat. We had a chance to debrief with the surgical staff after, to ask any questions for them to explain to us what had happened. And one of the things they said was, it looked like it was a success. It looked like what we wanted to do, what was wrong, has been fixed. I hope whoever this anonymous person was, 17 years later, still is fixed. And 17 years later, I'm sitting with another question. He was fixed. And was he healed? That's the question I want to explore today with you all. There's a difference in our lives between fixing and healing. 
And let me say, let me say absolutely, please hear me clearly on this. I love that we live in an age in which there are so many cures for things that have ailed our ancestors, that we live in an age of marvelous medical technology and care. I have no desire to go back to a past before these things. I just uh, saw not too long ago a cartoon in which two cavemen are sitting around in their cave in prehistoric times and are saying to each other, you know, we ate the paleo diet. <laughs> And and everything we consume is 100 percent organic and we all get this amazing amount of physical fitness and exercise. And yet all of us die before the age of 30. You don't want to reimagine the past and think it was great back then. I think the blessings of our age with the medical technology really are incredible. I am so grateful that so many things can be fixed. And at the same time, next to that, right alongside that truth, another truth. If our vision of human flourishing is limited to what we can fix, our vision of human flourishing will be inadequate. Ernest Hemingway said it this way. Life's going to break us all inevitably. And some of us are stronger at the broken places. He was not talking about having the best cardiac surgeon. He was talking about the reality of healing. There is a confusion that I have experienced in my own life. And I've seen in other people's lives now coming up on 17 years of ordained ministry that takes the form of something like this question. I've been fixed. The problem's gone. Why aren't I all better? The problem's been taken away. It's still me. I am a sap. I am a sentimental, overly sentimental person. It's one of the many things I'm in recovery from. And so <laughs> I'm going to keep my sappiness. Just, you know, not so much. Which is to say I love the transformation story. Sometimes I'm a total sucker for reality TV. And still, it's like that question I have about that heart patient from 17 years ago. Yeah, we can see the transformation, or at least how it's packaged for us when we watch the show. But is there real healing? I mean, we know, for example, that many, if not the majority of people who win the lottery end up miserable and broke. Seemingly, the problem, not having enough money, was fixed. But still, something's missing. We will be confused if fixing is our only vision of a full life. We will be distressed, much like the woman when I did chaplaincy before I was ordained in the summer of 1996, whose beloved husband, they were married for like 50 years, his life was ebbing away. His cancer was getting the best of him, and they had done every medical intervention they could. And when I would enter that room as a chaplain, she would grab my hand with all the hope and all the desperation and all the denial in the world. Sometimes those things are exactly the same. And say, pray for him to get better. Pray for him to get better. She was not facing the reality. You could see it separating it from her adult children who wanted to make peace with the fact that their father was going to die. And week after week after week, it was always pray for him. Next week, 
to get out of the hospital, next month to get out of the hospital. There is a space beyond cure and there is a space beyond fixing. And that is the space in which we can or may experience healing. I want to put it this way. Just as I witnessed in the summer of 1998, a blocked artery can be fixed. But a broken heart, the kind of broken hearts that all of us know from time to time in this life, a broken heart can only be healed. And there is a big difference. This is what this message series, Original Blessing, is about that Lee and I have been speaking of. Original blessing, another way of saying it, is the reuniting of life with life. It is like Chris talked about in the Pema Shadron quote to start the service about making space for all of who we are, not waiting for the perfect moment, not waiting for the flawless moment, not waiting for the moment when all our problems are fixed because it won't ever arrive. And still opening up with a full, wholehearted presence to who we are, to what we are, and to what we may be facing in this life. That is original blessing. It has nothing to do with fixing, nothing to do with flawlessness. One of the other things we've talked about in this series is that there's a misunderstanding very often that the opposite of healing, which exists over here in this side of the continuum, is opposed by hurt over here on this side of the continuum. I have to say in my life, the people who have been my greatest healers and have opened up the pathway to healing did not ever negate their hurt. They were open to it. The true opposite of healing is not hurt. It's harm. Healers know that it is vowing imperfectly to no longer commit harm against ourselves or against another person. That is the real path of healing. It is the real path of opening to our lives and experiencing a deeper original blessing beyond fixing ourselves. This is something that this figure, Kuan Yin, the Buddhist goddess of compassion. There's a wonderful book by a guy named Stephen Levine who for decades has worked with dying people and the beloved of those who have died working with them, seeing that rite of passage that all of us must face and seeing people into healing and also understand what blocks the way, what stands in the way, what hardens the arteries of the soul. Stephen Levine says this, many of us are conditioned to send hatred into our pain. Think about that for a moment and see if that resonates with you. We are conditioned to send hatred into our pain. And when we can let go of our negative attachment to what ails us, this compulsive resistance, and instead send love to where it was never considered possible, we turn the tables on our loathing. He concludes healing. The path of healing is to reoccupy those parts of ourselves abandoned to pain. To enter with mercy and awareness those areas that we may withdraw from in fear. Reoccupying the heart. Opening to what cannot be fixed so that we may heal and that our wounds can be attended to. I recently read one of the most profound, heartful, wise understandings of the healing from grief that I have ever read. For me, it stands right up there with the book that I read in seminary from one of my theology professors called Lament for a Son. 
And this wise theology professor who, no matter how much he knew, still couldn't keep his son from falling off that mountain in Europe. It stands up there for me with C.S. Lewis's beautiful, small, but deep book, A Grief Observed. It is from Elizabeth Alexander, who is a poet. And she writes about the sudden, unexpected death of this man, her husband, Fikra, an artist. That's him in the self-portrait there. Fikra, who one night went down a few years ago in his early 50s, down into their basement to run on the treadmill and collapsed from a heart attack, revealing eventually completely asymptomatic blockages within his heart that people could not foresee. Elizabeth met her husband about 20 years prior to his death in New Haven, Connecticut, where they both were living, when he was a chef at an Eritrean restaurant where he was from originally. And they started bonding over their mutual creative life together, over their artistry. They were deeply in love. They had two sons. And then her and her sons lost their husband and father like that. I want to read you Elizabeth Alexander's words because they are so beautiful. It's the moment right after Ikra's body has been taken to be worked onto the hospital. And there's nothing more that they can do. She writes, I lie atop him and cover his body with my body. After a time that cannot be measured, someone I do not know comes and puts her arms around my shoulders and gently, gently leads me off and away from Fikra. And then the children arrive, and I am waiting for them at the entrance, and I tell them that Daddy is dead. Where is Daddy, they ask. We go to a room to see his body, not to see him, to see his body, for when we go in, it is his body, but not him in a hospital gown under the covers. We touch and hug and weep over the body that no longer houses him. It is somehow not frightening to see his body. In these moments, it still belongs to us. The body is no longer warm. Our wails and our weeping are one wail. We know when we want to leave the room. She continues later on. I want to encourage you. It's in the New Yorker. You can find it online. Please read the whole thing for yourself. It's just that good. She continues a little later on in her remembrance of a number of months after his death. And she writes this. I thought of that phrase today, that phrase tonight, nobody cried today. It is 10 months, almost one year. I did not cry today. I cried yesterday. I may well cry tomorrow, but I did not cry today. And neither did either of my sons, though mostly I am the one who still cries. This is not an accomplishment, just an observation, but one that marks the passage of time. The next day, my son Simon weeps, remembering the day his father died, remembering being the first to find him, wondering if dying hurts, remembering that the last thing his father said to him before he went downstairs to the treadmill was this, a cheerful check on me. 
you did check, I tell my son. And then I came, and then your brother Solomon came. And we were there with him when his soul left the room. He was in his own home, and he was with us. My son's tears subside and melt into a few strong shudders. A bit later in the shower, Simon calls out to me, I was a 10 in sadness, Mommy, when I was crying, but now I am a 6. Whoops, he says, it just went down to a 5. He comes out of the shower and he puts on his pajamas. Now it's a 3, Mommy. He brushes his teeth. Now it's all gone, he says. We were with Daddy when he died. What Elizabeth Alexander does in opening to the power of loss and to the power of love reminds me of something I saw in the window of an art gallery many years ago, over 20 years ago in New York City. It's this. Horace Pippin is an artist who was actually born here in Westchester. It was very popular in the 40s and the 50s. And a collection of his work is called I Tell My Heart. I think what Elizabeth Alexander does is all about the difference between fixing and healing between the two understandings of what I tell my heart can mean. Think of it the first way we might understand I tell my heart as in I tell my heart, shut up. I tell my heart, I don't want to listen to your pain. I tell my heart, I don't want to listen to your grief. I don't want to listen to your brokenness. I tell my heart, be quiet. But that is not what Elizabeth Alexander does. She tells her heart. She opens to what cannot be fixed. She opens to the depth of loss and to the depth of love. That as I can see on so many of your faces right now, all of us contain. There is the blessing beyond fixing. It is as John Updike said many years ago in writing about two of his characters who were married for a very long time. And then the marriage ended. Divorce, not death. The same principle. That a marriage ends is less than ideal, he wrote, but all things end under heaven. And if time is held to be invalidating, then nothing real succeeds. All things end under heaven. And if time is held to be invalidating, then nothing real succeeds. That's the judgment of fixing. But the openness to healing is that time itself does not make us failures simply because we cannot outrun the fact that we are mortal creatures. And yet, how often in our lives do we feel that if we cannot fix it, that somehow we are failures? This is why it's so important to trust the voices such as Elizabeth Alexander's. Trust the voices who tell us the ultimate goal in this life is not to get by unscarred. Just look at your own body for a moment. <laughs> Even better, look at your own heart for a moment. There is no getting through this unscarred. But to get through this beloved is absolutely a promise of being alive. These voices such as Elizabeth Alexander's turn us back to life. This is what real compassion and real loving kindness is all about. It is about turning back and back and back again and today to what we may be running away from but still is very much a part of us. And by the way, there is no absolute line that says, okay, we're just going to shift. Yesterday was a fixing day. Today is a healing day and it's just seamless. There is no that. 
There are guidelines. There are teachings. But please disbelieve any book that say if you do six of these or eight of these that you can shift automatically from fixing the healing. It'll all be easy for you. It doesn't work that way. There's this slow. It's more like planting. It's more like working the earth. There's just finally the baffling, beautiful being with. The baffling, beautiful being with in our lives. And we don't have to be without doubts and we don't have to be without fears to do this work. I am one and I will raise both my hands high if I had to wait to the moment to begin healing that I was doubtless or fearless, I would be waiting my entire life and many, many lifetimes after this perhaps as well too. We don't need to be doubtless. We don't need to be fearless to do this work. You just need this. We just need this. Our curiosity just has to be one step ahead of our doubts and our fears. That's all we need to listen to our hearts, to listen to your heart so that you can tell your heart, you can speak your heart. And one of the things I found most authentically in this life is that when we come from that place, when we share this space with other people, when we do tell our hearts, what we also want to do is we want to listen to other people's hearts. And that's the healing that begins when we open to each other authentically in relationship, when we don't continue hiding anymore. We can trust those voices of the heart. We can speak with that voice of the heart. We can listen to that voice of the heart, turn toward that voice of the heart, and know that there is and will be those moments that we can enter that place, which isn't a place, it's a way of being beyond the need to fix. We can open to both the depth of loss and the depth of our love that are real white now. We can recognize that truly the most important parts of our story begin when the story we thought was going to be the story ends. I like this one. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men could not put Humpty Dumpty back together again. End of story, right? No. Just the beginning. I love the fact that it's all the king's horses and all the king's men, the royalty, the powerful, that can't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. We all recognize sometimes the broken eggshells of our life. Maybe today you are Humpty Dumpty. Eventually, I think we all touch that Humpty Dumpty way of living. And that's for so many of us when the story of our lives really does open up. So today I want to ask you, what can you turn toward? How can you listen to your heart? What of your heart must be told and shared and nurtured and held so that you may know that original blessing and that true healing. Amen. May you live in blessing. Let's pray together. O source of original blessing that is certainly not expressed by words such as flawless or perfect or pure. The baffling beautifulness of life is the blessing, 
not waiting to get beyond it. The baffling beautifulness of life is the blessing. May we be people who can grow hearts as wide as the world that are able to hold it all, open to it all, open to the pain we carry, open to the joy we carry, open to the love that we have, so that we may see likeness in others as well, and that likeness may shine bright even in the darkest moments and lead us on through this life. Amen.